and welcome to A Black Woman's Chronicles, the show that critically analyzes the history and current state of American education at the PK-12 level in higher education, with the intention of creating new and liberating possibilities for our beloved students, families, and communities. I'm your host, Lauren Anderson. In today's episode, I will talk about the path forward in Black education by thinking about dreams and the dreams that our Black students have for themselves. I will discuss why their dreams, joys, and pain points should be essential for constructing a liberating education for them. Be sure to listen all the way through for details. So in thinking about the dreams the aspirations, the joys, and pain points of Black students, um, we have to understand why dreaming is important in the first place, right? Why is it that we have to value the dream, value the act of wanting something different, something better? Um, And I think a great place to start at is by reflecting on a piece of work Um, that was written by Robin D.G. Kelly. In his work, Freedom Dreams, the Black Radical Imagination, Kelly argued that a new direction must begin with thought, with how we imagine a new world, with how we reconstruct our social and individual relationships, with unleashing our desire and unfolding a new future. One more time, a new direction must begin with thought, with how we imagine a new world, with how we reconstruct our social and individual relationships, with unleashing our desire and unfolding a new future. I want us to take that in for a minute because there's so much there that we have to unpack. There's so much there that we have to contend with in this idea of understanding the importance of dreaming, of having a dream. All of us dream. All of us have been to sleep and had dreams. And sometimes we wake up from those dreams and we don't remember them. Or we do remember them. But we don't. Re- but we really don't reflect on them. And for this revolutionary act of dreaming, especially for Black folks that have been through a lot in American society and continue to go through a lot, and really participating as full citizens, right? Because we live in a very in a, in a highly stratified society. That is very much racialized. That when we are dreaming, when we are constructing new pathways forward, that we're not just thinking about ourselves, but for in the in the, in the history of black folks, this has always been about the community. It's not individualistic because we understood that we can't do it alone. It takes a community, it takes a village to create something better, 
that not just one of us can can um, benefit from, but how we all can benefit in the long run. And so Kelly said that it begins with thoughts, with how we imagine a new world, right? And so this means we know what the world is now. We know what the world was centuries ago. We've been through it. We're going through it. Now, what do we want going forward? What does the future look like? And what are we doing now to create that new pathway, right, into something different? Kelly continues, with how we reconstruct our social and individual relationships. This is important because we're talking about relational dynamics between people, between ourselves. What does that look like? What does that consist of? Because if we are creating a new world, then that means that the dynamics of the relationships that we have with people has to be different. And Bell Hooks argues that we have to fundamentally break down and depart from all forms of domination, that being in our personal lives and in our professional lives. That we can no longer allow domination to lead the way. That we have to consistently as Audre Lorde said, we have to excavate and, and, and mine our own beliefs. What do we believe in? What do we carry with us? So in, in really falling back and thinking about Audre Lorde's essay um, and her essay in particular about the master tools will never dismantle the master's house. There's a point in the essay that I think is really important as we are dreaming, as we are trying to figure this thing out, as we are trying to think about how we can create the path forward with our students, with our Black students, at the forefront of that imagination. And so in this essay, um, Audre Lorde says this, for the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. They may allow us temporarily to beat him at his own game, but they will never enable us to bring about genuine change. And this fact is only threatening to those women. This is who she's writing to, right? And this fact is only threatening to those women who still define the master's house as their only source of support. Even though we're not even though we're not specifically speaking to women, right? But we are speaking to the Black community as a whole, right? Across genders, socioeconomic classes, religions, etc. right? So we are expanding this to everyone, right? Within the Black community, especially our Black students. 
that we cannot rely on what we have currently. And 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 Kelly argued that hey, when we are dreaming, this dream must come from a place of breaking down what we already have because what we have is not working. We have to think about new ways of being, new ways of seeing. This is this is at the forefront of dreaming that we're no longer in a space of of of, of just simply accepting what's already here for this new world that we're seeking to create. Right? That we're not that we're not relying on as Lord said the tools of the ruling elite, the tools of the oppressor, the tools of those that that are seeking right to keep the status quo as what it is. That instead we are fueling our desire to dream. Right? We're fueling, we're fueling our desire to dream with other tools. With other tools that only ourselves can create and utilize. Not saying they can't be co-opted because they can be, right? But we have to understand that if we want to move this thing forward, that it must come from the tools that we create for this new world. And so, and the future is black, edited by Carl Grant, Ashley Woodson, and Michael Dumas. Keanu Ross wrote in the first chapter on black education, anti-blackness, refusing resistance, that, quote, we should ensure that as we continue to dream, we are dreaming together, that we are building with black parents, teachers, students, activists, and communities more broadly. And that to speak truth, to speak to the truth of our realities and also to chart our path forward. That we are always talking to folks racialized black in this world to continue to ensure our ideas reflect actual experiences and desires and that our imaginings are part of the ongoing collective struggle for black life and living. Ross is essentially saying that our future depends on the dreams that we have, depends on us coming together as a collective, as a community to drive forward what we see as being the necessary change. And work that we want to see must originate from the community and that's just that's the reality that dreaming has to start with the folks that are being impacted and the folks being impacted are students especially parents family members community members etc or as Ross said, those racialized black in the society or even globally, that 
for for any change to take place that for any change to take place that our ideas what we see to be necessary due to the experiences that we have because we are racialized as black must be foundational to the dream and so i started this episode with with was speaking about the importance of our black students and what they want and what they don't want and what brings them joy and what does not bring them joy because that matters because a lot of times in the classroom and this is something that i've seen and experienced with black students um is that there's a lot of points throughout the day that they aren't experiencing joy, that they aren't experiencing an education that allows them to speak to their experiences, that will allow them to to be to be seen as fully human. Um, and this is not something that this is to 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 teach, right? to be an administrator in a school setting does not automatically give you um, the ability to create a liberating experience for your students. This is something that requires you to um, have deep thought about, to reflect on, to consider, to be in conversation continuously with community members, students, families, that you actually have to care and love about you have to actually care and love the people that you're serving. And this is not always the case. So our path forward as Dumas, as Kiana Ross, Audre Lord, Robert D.G. Kelly have stated, starts with us, with our desires, with our needs and wants. Um, all of that starts with us. And so for those educators that are listening, that being paraprofessionals, teachers, um, administrators, coaches, et cetera, that if you want to create a classroom setting, a school um, environment, a district-wide community that believes in equity, that believes in anti-racism, that believes in creating something different than what you have now, that you have to be in conversation with the folks that you serve, that you have to be listening to them. You have to be co-constructing the environment with them. What do they want? How are you creating systems in place to create this new system going forward? And if they're not a part of the conversation, are you really doing the work of equity? Are you really doing the work of anti-racism? If they're not a part of the conversation, if they're not at the forefront of this change. A few years ago, I was working in the Kansas City School District in Kansas City, Missouri. Um, and 
I learned a lot about why we have to start with black kids. Um, in, in working at a predominantly black and brown school, um, it was an elementary school. Well, it was K through eight, actually. But I worked with um, primarily second through fifth grade. And I taught English. I would do English instruction. So during this time in my life, which I think was the, was a pivotal point of who I became and who I am, um, first and foremost, because I was immersed in thinking through the lives and experiences of young students. And for any educator or just anyone that works with young kids, you learn a lot about the world. There are things that they experience that you don't think they experience, that you don't think they are seeing, but they are seeing and they are experiencing. And so that's why it's so important that we are thinking through liberation with them at the forefront of the conversation. Um, many times when I will come to work and work and work breakfast duty in the morning um, or when dismissing them at the end of class, seeing them go onto their buses or wait for their parents, they would tell me their stories. They will tell me the things they loved and the things they hate. The things they loved were Minecraft, um, going to their dance recitals, hanging out with their favorite sibling or cousin, um, dancing, rapping, telling me about um, what was happening um, at home. Just a lot of different things right? Um, or Miss Anderson, I want to become a dentist. Or Miss Anderson, I want to become a doctor. Oh, Miss Anderson, I want to become a lawyer. Oh, Miss Anderson, um, why are there so many police officers in our neighborhood? Or Miss Anderson, I'm afraid that if Donald Trump gets elected, I might get deported. Or Miss Anderson, um, my brother, he's in trouble in Mexico again. So my family, we had to go back down there. Or, oh, Miss Anderson, my parents are going through a divorce. Or, Miss Anderson, there's a lot of things happening at home. These are the stories that I would hear. And I'm sure that you've heard them too, no matter where you are, right? Um... And students are, are telling you things, right? And sometimes we're not listening. Not we're, we're not really listening to what they're saying. <laughs> but they're telling us a lot. Right? And it's not enough to just simply teach what is prescribed. Because usually what is prescribed is not enough. Because you'll hear from students, why do we need this? Or what value is this to us? Or how does this apply to 
our lived experiences in our neighborhoods, in our communities. Because a lot of the experiences that I've heard from students were based on race and socioeconomic status. Maybe sometimes even gender. But it all reflected their world as being racialized as either black or brown. Going back to what Ross said, how we move forward has to be steeped in what we think is necessary due to our experiences as racialized black folks. And that is key. That is key in, in, in understanding how we dream and, and what dreaming consists of and how we implement something different. While I may not have the playbook for what the next world will look like, while I may not have the playbook for what it looks like tomorrow, I will definitely say this, that at the classroom level, it looks like you listening to your students. It looks like you asking them what they want. It's you saying, hey, what is it that I can improve on? It's you allowing students to have options. It's you allowing students to know that their knowledge is not, their knowledge is valid. And that it's not outside of the curriculum, right? That it's, it's deeply integrated within the curriculum. That if your curriculum is not speaking to, speaking with the students in front of you and their families and communities, then maybe that's not the curriculum for you nor your students. Because when I was working with students of color, I remember we were, um, the school had implemented a new school-wide program for the students. It was character building. And, um, and the textbook and the workbook for the students, the, this particular task had asked students to circle all of the celebrations and holidays that they celebrate. And one of the students said, Ms. Anderson, I am a Muslim and we don't celebrate Christmas. I don't see the Eids. Where are the Eids at, right? And I, I, and I looked, I said, you're absolutely right. It's not in here. It's not in here. And I felt bad because I should have reviewed what was given to me prior to giving it to them. I should have done my work of ensuring that whatever I'm giving to them does not exclude, does not erase, does not invalidate who they are. Because that was, that was, because, you know, this student it was a very shy student, very quiet, very shy, unless he was around his friends, but usually very shy. And when he spoke up, I knew there was something wrong. There was something wrong because, you know, he was very shy. 
he'll speak to his like his his um partner sitting next to him, you know, in his group or across from him. But usually when it came to like a full discussion, um he was very quiet. And when he said he said, Miss Anderson, we don't celebrate this. There was there was fire in him. We don't celebrate this. Where are the Eads? I said, oh my gosh. Let me go ahead and explain to everyone else at the Eads. And I said, you know, do you, would you like to talk about the Eads so that your peers know? Because I believe that out of the class, he, well, there was only maybe one or two other students that were Muslim. And um, I said, well, would you like to talk about the Eats? And he, you know, he was kind of shy. And so I myself went over the Eats, the two Eats that are celebrated in Islam, right? Because I think it's important that students know and to decenter, right, just, just Christianity, which is usually a lot of times centered, right? And that's what I'm talking about, right, that... Whatever the school is giving, sometimes it's what the school is giving is not conducive to what the students need, right? It may be exclusionary. And sometimes administrators may not understand or see it or may not double check because, hey, the district candidate is down to the school level. And maybe they thought it was appropriate or didn't see an issue with it. I remember another scenario um and, and and these scenarios for me is indicative of how important it is for teachers and administrators to um listen to their students take heed of what their students are talking about and not pass it off as being irrelevant because it's not it's not irrelevant um i remember um i remember just overhearing students I remember I was working at the YMCA and also working in the school district, um, just overhearing students talking about, oh, well, um, talking about just issues of colorism, actually, right? And I was perplexed because I was like, they're so young, but they, they know about colorism. And so that right there, for me, it was like, okay, we need to discuss this, right? We need to discuss colorism and where it stems from, right? Because at the heart of it is anti-blackness. If we think about texture, features, someone's skin color, this, this is foundationally is anti-blackness. And that's something that has to be discussed. And so that's no small feat. That's not small at all, um, especially in understanding um the bigger picture, um, especially in American history, American society, um, in, especially in this highly racialized, stratified society, that when it comes down to domination, we have to love who we are. Um, we have to fight against everything that has told us that we should not love and celebrate who we are. Um, and so that means interrupting what we hear from our students and having that discussion, bringing in curriculum that speaks to the pain points, that speaks to the realities of our students. Um, I remember there was another lesson 
that um, we did over Flint, Michigan and the water crisis and the health hazards alongside that, right? Um, and how deeply, um, deeply personal that it was, especially when looking at what happens in the Kansas City area. That we can't, that what we're seeing across the nation with poor, with poor folks and um, black folks and folks of color, these things aren't by accident, right? These things aren't just coincidental, right? And that we have to have these conversations. So we did a project over that. It was a multimedia project, research project that students did and, and really excavating what was happening in Flint, Michigan and, and comparing it to what's happening in Kansas City, Missouri, right? What is happening in their own communities. So that's important. So hopefully this episode um, makes us think about the importance of listening to students, not just seeing it as an oversight, not just seeing it as irrelevant, but listening to them, right? Um, I even, even in passing with parents or grandparents, right? They will talk about, you know, what should I do going forward for my child, for my grandchild? Um, what things should we be doing at home? Or I want them to have a great education. Um, or I know that, you know, in this world that black kids are not getting what they need, you know, how can we support them? You know, parents are concerned. And I think educators, um, especially teachers and administrators need to know that the black community, we understand what is happening. We want the best for our students. We want the best for our kids. We, because we know what the world consists of. We know what the world looks like for us, right? We know how hard it is. Right. So this so when we push forward, it has to stem from the black community. Right. This conversation cannot move forward with just people outside the community. It can't just be about, oh, well, I think that the community needs or I think that the students need. No, they everyone that is a key stakeholder has to be a part of the process. So that's just that's just what it is. Right. I mean, so for next time, as usual. Um, I'll be continuing on the same beat and diving deep into American education and what we can do as a collective to create and shape liberating possibilities. Until next time.